All right, so Valentine's Day is just a few days away, so we want to help you prepare for some special moments with your spouse. And uh, here are some ways that uh, some couples prepare. My wife and I try to have a date night, oh, I guess every other week or so. Not as often as I'd like, but, you know, it's a great way to reconnect, to have fun together, and just remember why we got married in the first place. A fun thing that my wife and I like to do is a date night in where we, you know, we'll go get sushi from a grocery store or a burger from our favorite joint and then just cuddle up on the couch, throw a blanket on and try to make home a special date night. Sometimes after the kids are in bed, we finally just have a few minutes to relax together where we can just talk and reconnect. All right, so intimacy is our topic today on the Loving Well podcast, and it's more than just sexual intimacy, although we've got lots of good info about that uh, in today's episode. I'm John Fuller. We have Greg and Aaron Smalley here in the studio as well, and um, as we talk about sex and intimacy, if you're just playing this on you know, a smart speaker in the kitchen, uh, get the kids out of the earshot, please, because we're going to be pretty frank about the topic, and Greg and Aaron... That's important. We have to be honest about this aspect of the relationship, but it's hard for a lot of couples. It is. And, you know, sometimes it can be awkward and uncomfortable, but yet we have got to talk about this because it is when we experience sexual intimacy, even the deep heart intimacy, you know, it's this very deep connection. It's a, you know, sexual intimacy is a gift that God gave us for marriage. And it's something that we need to celebrate and to talk about regularly within our marriage. Especially because our culture is hijacked. What mm. God meant is one of the best gifts he's given to us within marriage. Our culture has taken this. For example, popular sitcom that that when talking about sex used the phrase yada, yada, yada. And that be, kind of became the joke, even within our country, that when you talk about sex, you use the phrase yada, 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 which is so ironic because that is the exact word that God uses when talking about this this sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. That's it's, the Hebrew yada, word, right? Is is yada, and and what that means is to be known at the deepest possible level within the relationship. And when you slow down that word intimacy, you get into me see, and so beyond even the physical part of our sexual relationship. That, that whole idea of yada is is to for me to see so deeply within my wife that I know her in every way. I know her heart. I know her mind. I know her the spiritual part of who she is, and I know her physically, sexually. And it's it is it might be awkward in the beginning to to make this part of your regular conversation with your spouse. But Greg and I have even taken it to where we will tease, you know, about intimacy and what we share in front of our kids. And we literally we're like, you know, what, you guys need to be grateful that your parents still pursue each other, heart, soul, mind and body. That is a gift that God has given us in marriage, and it, it provides a protection around our relationship. Just hormonally, it's a bonding experience, and so this is something that we celebrate. Okay, now I'm not there yet, but you've got a married child. I mean, you, your oldest daughter is married now. Has she looped back to say anything about this, the, the fact that you led the way in the home for open, honest conversations of appreciation for God's gift? What I've noticed is early on in their marriage— Taylor 
our daughter would make some jokes and reference about their sexual relationship, and our poor son-in-law would go, uh, yeah, uh, you know, quit, no, stop. <laughs> I thought that was just ours, yeah. yeah. And I honestly, it pulled him aside one time, and I said, hey, son, let me let me be real clear. If this is your wife, and, and that is such a beautiful gift that God has given to you, and man, we want to celebrate that with you. We are so pleased that you guys get to enjoy each other, yada, one another. <laughs> and I said, so yeah, I know it's weird and we're your parents-in-laws, but I'm telling you, man, that's not weird for us. Mm-hmm. We think that's awesome. Keep keep it up. Because yeah. I, I didn't want him, you know, the typical father-in-law, you know, hey, you know, that's my, that's daughter. my daughter. Don't yeah, defile yeah. my daughter. No, dude, this is your wife and God gave you this gift and we're going to praise God with you that mm-hmm. you guys get to experience that. What I've noticed then over the last year is that he now, they, they joke about it and are playful and Aaron and always, we, our response to them is always some like, Awesome. You're, you're and affirming hopefully get a grandchild of this. Yes. But not that you're asking Absolutely. anybody to be inappropriate or no. flaunt There's sexual boundaries yeah. Yeah. with what they share. Yeah. 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 But it, it is it is fun to see that and to see them enjoying the gift of intimacy in their marriage. Well, we have, over the years here at Focus on the Family, enjoyed conversations on our broadcast with Dr. Cliff Penner and his wife, Joyce. And uh, we're going to share a portion of a conversation that Jim Daly and I had with the Penners. They work as a team in counseling couples and individuals about healthy, physical, sexual intimacy. And every time we have them on the broadcast, we get a great response. As you listen, I think you'll understand why. Let's just start the conversation about generally, do couples, Christian couples particularly, do we miss a, a very important part of our relationship by not talking about this more openly with our spouses? What is the general context out there when we talk or don't talk well, about sex? That is so important in terms of bringing about change. Talking, being able to talk about our likes, dislikes, what's working for us, what isn't, what our expectations are. And that's one of the things we find just referring back to getting your sex life off to a great start for couples who are preparing for marriage. So often we'll have them say, oh, we wouldn't want to read that because it's almost like they can't separate that they need knowledge and open communication. They don't have to do it. They just need to be informed. But they think we shouldn't have any knowledge or information. We should just do what comes naturally. Why is there such a taboo, Cliff? Well, first of all, the taboo was trained in the home because if your parents don't talk about it or whenever it is talked about, there's a, a either a snicker or a, oh, stop it, uh, whichever way it goes, kids get the message very quickly. This is a subject we don't deal with. So they don't grow up talking about it naturally. And then when they get into a relationship, um, if it's so standard where the the guy is pushing for as much as he can get, and the girl is the one that's got to put up the the boundaries, whatever the context, then you have all this discomfort with it, and and then you get married, and and so they get to that place and have never really learned to communicate about it. Well, that's, and that's a problem. I want to yes. kind of illuminate that point you're making. As a parent, I have two boys, 11 and 9, and I, I think Critical you've just ages. taught me something because as a parent, I think I've actually done my job if I've turned the TV off yeah. and said, you know, that's not what we look at. Uh-huh. But you're, what you're saying very well is 
we need to continue the discussion and make sure they understand the context of maybe what they saw for a second or two. Yeah, yeah. because the message it comes across then is sex is bad. Right, and that's not what you want to say. And that's not the message you want to give. You want to give that sex is precious mm. and to be cared for very carefully and to be enjoyed in the right context, in mm. the God-given context. And that many times we get the wrong messages about it in the world, but this is how we understand God to have designed it, and it's good enough Him. Mm-hmm. And another thing we really emphasize with that is helping our kids, and I know we're kind of getting off the way to love your wife, but it's an important part we'll probably <laughs> of those who are listening, helping our kids realize that their feelings, their desires, their urges are natural and automatic, and God designed those. Mm. But they can make choices about their behaviors. Mm. And when we don't separate that, it's very confusing, and particularly, and I'll lead back to marriage, because then we shut it all down before marriage, and we can't turn the switch on after marriage. Mm. And if we help them see that the urges are good, but that all of us are responsible for, for what we actions. do about right. those feelings. Well, let's, let's talk about that because I think many of us experience that when we're uh, dedicated to the Lord, especially in our teen years in college. Yes. If you go through college, you're trying hard. Perhaps you failed uh, and you get back on track. Mm-hmm. Lord, I'm going to commit. I'm sorry. And these impulses and all those things. Uh, and when you get married, let's say you your will and your dedication has gotten you to the point of marriage and you haven't broken that covenant with the Lord and that night there you are with your new husband or your wife and you're supposed to flip this switch mm-hmm. and all things emotional and physical move in a different direction now there's no more needing to bridle it the way you yeah, have yeah yesterday it wasn't okay and today it's yeah. wonderful yeah. how do you 3 prepare? hours ago it wasn't okay and right. now it is how do you prepare yourself for that transition and what's a spiritual and scriptural way to do that And we really do believe it's so important for couples getting ready for marriage in those few months before marriage to read something like Getting Your Sex Life Off to a Great Start and The Way to Love Your Wife. The two go together really well. And in marriage, The Gift of Sex and The Way to Love Your Wife. And so we would say that education, just even getting the data, makes a major difference. Mm -hmm. But education, knowledge about the, how our bodies work, knowledge about what the scriptures teach about sex, knowledge about how to be in relationship with one another can really make a difference. And so that's why we're so pleased to be talking with you right now, because you can get the word out. Uh, Cliff and Joyce, I'm reminded of some of the mail and emails that we receive here at Focus on the Family. And what you're describing about flipping that switch when you get married as a committed Christian and how now all of a sudden things that were taboo are okay. Uh, I think particularly for women, it is difficult if they don't have the tools or maybe the mentoring to help them in that uh, journey. Uh, for the woman that and the man that may not know what that looks like, what's the comfortable thought life, the appropriate thought life for that woman who is comfortable with her sexuality? What does that look like in her mind? Well, the, often the way we say it is the woman enjoys sex best when she feels good about herself. You know, she looks in the mirror and says you know, I'm looking pretty good today. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Or he's looking at her and saying, you know, I just looked at you and you're so gorgeous or whatever it is. He makes her feel good about herself, which is so different than men. And they Mm -hmm. try many times to get her 
involved sexually in the way that would work for them. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't work. It, it, see, it, if the woman pranced around, it would be a positive for him. If he prances around, it isn't particularly positive <laughs> for her. <laughs> okay, those are the, the mind thoughts I guess saying. I was asking for. Yes, I kind of yeah. stepped in that wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. but, but the point we're trying to make here is that what we mean by being in touch with her sexuality is both the good feelings about herself but also being aware of the sexual sensations in her body that are an ongoing part of life and thanking God for those, being pleased with those, not squelching them, nurturing them and sharing them with her husband, all that kind of thing. So it's an awareness of herself as a sexual person. And another way to maybe say the counter to that would be her thinking all day, oh my gosh, I gotta have sex tonight. Oh, you know, the duty thing. It's a weight. Yes, it's a weight. Rather than getting with herself, she's thinking, oh, he needs it, which is true, but it's a different way of thinking of it. It's an obligation when she thinks that way, whereas when she thinks, oh, good, I need to nurture my thoughts, my body, my everything so that I'm really ready to enjoy this for myself. Because one thing we know that if the woman isn't enjoying it uh, fully for herself and is only there for the husband— the joy in the sexual experience and the frequency and the satisfaction will diminish over the years radically. For mm. both of them, actually. Mm. And I do a lot of teaching of mothers of preschoolers, the MOPS organization. Sure. Mm-hmm. But I talk a lot about the difference between we all want to do it by desire. And we can do it by decision, and particularly when we have young children in the home. We're not going to have, because the energy base for getting things done in life is the same energy base for sexual desire, responsiveness, all of that. And when that's all drained because we've got little kids and we're Mm. trying to do everything we do in life, we're not going to have that. But we can plan for it and do it by decision. What we don't want to do it by is demand or duty Mm -hmm. because that kills it for both of us. You see, and often we get the message that you've got to do it by duty. It's your duty to do this. And in a technical sense, I suppose it is, but when it's coming out of okay, it's my duty, Uh, there's not a whole lot of delight in that. And that's why we always talk about it as that we want it by either desire or decision, not demand or duty. Now, do we sometimes, Joyce, have the attitude that uh, even though, I guess, in one part of our mind we recognize that God is omniscient, he knows all, but we think, oh, this part of the closet, this part we call sex, he actually doesn't see into that closet. He yeah. doesn't know what's going on there. Yeah. We, we act like that, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we and, do. And we like to quote that Genesis 2.24 passage, which is the first reference to sex between a husband and wife, where it says, Therefore a man leaves his father and mother, clings to his wife, and the two become one, which is the first reference to the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. And it's talked about before. There's any talk about sin or anything else. And then, interestingly enough, Paul quotes that same verse in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about how the husband loves his wife, and he's talking about comparing the sexual relationship of a husband and wife to the relationship between Christ and his people, which is a wonderful picture, but certainly endorses it and means it's not in the back corner of the closet. It's right out there leading us. Well, and I want to follow up on that demand versus decision. So the example I give, I say the content is exactly the same. 
It's the attitude. So if you're doing it by duty, you kind of look and say, oh, it's been three days. I better do it. Or three weeks. Or whatever it is. You know, I better do it. And the decision is, oh, it's been three days. I know it would be good for us. I should plan for it. I want to make it as good as it can be. Maybe I can get a nap today while the kids nap. Maybe I can have him get the kids down and I take a bubble bath or whatever. So it's the same content. It's a different attitude toward that content. Uh, Cliff, as men, and I appreciate that clarification, Joyce, because I think as men, we're so good at compartmentalizing. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can have a hard day at work. We can have all this problem solving we're doing, and we still have things rattling around in a certain compartment of our brain. But we can go home with all that chaos over here and think, hmm, that'd be nice tonight. Exactly. Shut it off. It's a totally different compartment. For women, it's all integrated. It's how I felt today, and did I feel good about myself today? Men, it's hard for us to understand that, isn't it? It's frustrating. Well, it it certainly can be frustrating. What are you thinking, Joyce? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, what are you thinking, Joyce? It's interesting because the research that has just come out in the recent years of Sex and the Brain, and we did a whole training for therapists on Sex and the Brain, shows that a brain center in men under stress actually triggers a brain chemical that encourages sex, whereas stress for the women triggers a brain chemical that shuts down on sex. Why did God do that? That is really confusing (laughs) sometimes. I I don't mean that disrespectfully. But but is it his sense of humor? Did he say, okay, let's do this in order to (laughs) help them become less selfish? I always kiddingly say that that the reason marriages can last for a lifetime, Joyce and I have been married almost 49 years now, and uh, the reason it can last so long is because the woman is always changing. And, and she's so and, complicated. And, 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 and so the man is forever in search of the answer. <laughs> and and, and if he gets with together. her, hmm. it keeps it interesting because it's not boring. But it is. I do want to repeat that because I think there's something in that. There is a great sense of humor in that. We're made in God's image. I believe that God has a sense of humor. Yes. But in this context... There may be an element where God wants us to rub off our selfishness in our marital relationships. Do you think that could be the grand plan? Well, and when you think of it, the command is that the husband is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. And then Philippians 2 teaches us how Christ loves us, and he gives up his rights. And husbands will often say, but it is my right. And we say, absolutely, it's your right. But you may have to give it up in order for her to open her heart to you, Mm. like Christ gets with us. There are people listening right now saying, you've nailed it, okay? You've just talked about something that is a major problem for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has to do with expectations and with stress and we're too tired. Give us a couple of starting points to have that conversation for the couple that has just never, ever talked about this. We do suggest that, that, first of all, they set aside a time. When you're getting into the bed and about to start, this isn't the time to bring up the topic, which is oh, often I've been meaning to say, honey. <laughs> well, there's a lot of calculating going on. That's right. Yeah. I so, mean, if we're honest with each other, I yeah. think that's how men and women think. So yeah. that isn't the time to have the serious discussion about it. We always say it needs to happen at 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning over a cup of coffee. Okay. And plan for it and mm. say, you know, we really, this is difficult for us to talk about, but we need to talk about it. And if you can't talk about it, then get something that you can read out loud together. 
And sometimes that's the easiest way, because otherwise it's like, okay, you start. No, you start. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're going to we talk gonna... about it. Let's be intimate. Well, okay, you tell me first. No, you. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> go anywhere. Yeah. So w- when we have something tangible like the way to love your wife and start reading it, it will trigger things, and then you can get the conversation going. And we have many uh, reports of people for whom this opened the door for their communication. Mm-hmm. Just as a starting point. Yes, yeah. and people will say, it will ask, well, how did it turn around? You know, we'll get affirming emails also, not just the ones that uh, are asking for help and say, we got your book or we talked to somebody on Focus on the Family and they recommended your book and we started reading it together and we started talking about this. But you know, I think it started with talking. Well, we want to encourage you to talk, to have the conversations about this wonderful aspect of intimacy that God gives married couples. And uh, one of our resources for you is a free download of several broadcasts, including the Penners, uh, Greg and Aaron Smalley, and others. You're going to find those downloads and other help at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. While you're there, look for the book by Dr. Cliff and Joyce Penner called Enjoy the Gift of Sexual Pleasure for Women, and also The Married Guy's Guide to Great Sex. Uh, Those are available for you as our thank you gift when you generously contribute to the work of Focus on the Family. And as you donate to Focus on the Family, there are so many great resources that are offered to couples across our country. You know, whether it be resources that are online, broadcasts, but then also we have a program called Hope Restored that helps couples in crisis. And so many great ways that your donations are being used to help heal hurting marriages. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of younger couples, there's this equation of being thrilled with the sexual aspect, but there's so much more to intimacy, isn't there? There really is. And when you think about intimacy, think about the whole person, that intimacy is really knowing your spouse fully, which is emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, but then it's also being known in the same way. And really, that is one of the greatest human needs we have, that we want to be known fully, fully known and fully loved and accepted. Mm -hmm. And that's the opportunity we have when we talk about intimacy in marriage. Yeah, remember when God created marriage way back in the book of Genesis in the Bible, one of the ways that he describes this is that a man should leave his family and then cleave to his wife. So we're leaving something, but then we're also cleaving. Most people hear that word, they're aware of the Greek meaning of that word, which is more about bonding, being united. Tell you what's so interesting, if you look at the Hebrew word for cleave, what it means is to closely pursue. And when I saw that, it it really changed my thinking around, as, as Aaron's husband, a part of how I can continue to cleave with her, not just sexually, but to closely pursue her. And what that means is that I've got to continue to deepen my understanding, my knowledge of of who she is. So part of closely pursuing my wife is to pursue in this season, in this day, because we all change. What 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 does she need? What what is she fearful of? What, what how is she feeling? Mm-hmm. And to really go after that part of just developing an ongoing knowledge and expertise. I want to be the world's greatest expert in Aaron. 
and it requires that I'm asking, that I'm curious, that I'm, I'm asking her good questions that draw out. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's what God's teaching me. Here's what I'm dreaming about. And as I do that, it allows me to, to closely pursue her. Now, we can put that then into action, which is, I think, all about wooing our spouse. And wooing is such a great word. It's a word we don't hear very often. But yet it is so true that wooing means that we're doing things that is drawing our spouse towards us, you know, causing them to to turn towards us. And, and really, physical intimacy is one of those things that can cause them to turn towards us. And, you know, there's other things. So ask them, what is it that causes you to feel wooed? What mm. is it that I can do that will woo you toward me? Look, I've used that word three times. I'm, I'm hoping we're done so <laughs> we can get busy wooing <laughs> one another. You know, when Aaron is being playful and cracking jokes and just being funny, that that's probably, for me, mm. the biggest thing that she does to woo me. I just love that humor and playfulness. And words of affirmation when Greg is affirming me and when he notices the things I'm doing, you know, in and around our house or things that I've accomplished, that just draws me toward him. Hmm. Well, we've had Bill and Pam Farrell on our broadcast uh, at various times, and they're going to talk now with Jim Daly about keeping the romance sizzling in your marriage. It's interesting. You kind of go against the grain in the book. You talk about a date night, but you talk about going ahead and bringing the the household items to the discussion. That seems antithetical to what many have suggested. You come with flowers and with candlelight, and you talk nothing but romantic language. You're saying, eh, you need some time to really get through the business of the household. Well, and we talk about doing the romantic thing also. But you know how it goes. You, you know, early in the relationship, you can do anything that, oh, he cares about me, she's awesome, she's beautiful, and it works. But as time goes on, what you begin to realize is that money gets in the way of your discussion, planning gets in the way of the discussion, calendar commitments get in the way of the discussion, children. disagreements over children get in the way. And, and so you bring the flowers, and it reminds her that we haven't talked about whatever the issue is. Like we like to think of red hot monogamy um, like the diamond ring that many people have for their wedding ring. I mean, a diamond has many facets to it. And in the same way, intimacy has many facets to it. There's social intimacy and financial intimacy and recreational intimacy and vocational and parental and emotional and spiritual intimacy. Those are many facets. And so the book actually has chapters on each one of those things. Because if you're fighting over money, there's not going to be a lot of red hot monogamy going on. And if you're not on the same page with your kids and your parenting, chances are mm, those fires are going to be cooled. And so to fan the flame, to add that spark and that sizzle, we want to look at all sides of intimacy. Well, and finance is typically the number one reason couples break up. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's fascinating. But you're saying go ahead and delve into it, deal with the issue, get yourself a budget, get that out of the way. Now we can work well, on other Well, and things. it's not just getting a budget. You know, like, like that's the, the kind of the illusion we have is if we can get a budget and both agree on the budget, we're going to be good. The reason why money is such an issue is we express ourselves with money. That the thing we love about each other is usually different. Like Pam was a very spontaneous, very expressive individual who loves to inspire people. Well, when we talk about money, that all comes into the discussion. She wants to talk about how can we use our money to inspire people? How can we create spontaneous opportunities to to run after opportunities? Um, Where I tend to approach life differently, I, I want a system that helps people. 
that's kind of how I approach all of life. I, I love being a pastor because I was able to set up a system that would help people. Mm. And so it's more looking for a financial rhythm that enables you to be who you are rather than clamping down one person. Because usually when, when we talk about money, it's we need to get a budget that controls our finances. Mm. And the person who isn't particularly wired that way feels like they've been clamped down. And the thing that Bill likes in the bedroom is my spontaneousness. And you know what? That just leaks over to the checkbook. So that might be a little bit of TMI there. But, <laughs> but, some, but some people are thinking, you love this is all linked? I can't it's believe this is all linked. I thought we were talking linked. about intimacy and marriage. <laughs> yeah. Now you're talking right. finance. See, that's I mean, the thing. Is, is it it's that all, linked? It is that linked. Because, again, we express ourselves in a number of ways in life. We express ourselves through our career. And you know, as men, our careers are vital to who we are. And if we don't have freedom to run with our careers and we don't have a career that's satisfying to us, we struggle in life. It makes us less interested in the important relationships of our life. Well, let's talk the early years of marriage. Let's just go right down the, the life cycle. Early years of marriage, red hot monogamy. How does a young couple, no kids in the home, mm-hmm. what should they be doing to uh, make sure that they protect their relationship? Well, I think one of the most important things is to have enough time for red hot romance. And that it, it's, an it's an acrostic that helps people. So the T is for 10 or 20 minutes a day to connect, which this is primarily a skill us guys need to work on because, again, we don't communicate this way. 10 or 20 minutes. Yes. And that's just checking in. Like it's not problem space. solving. It, it's you walking in and say, honey, how you doing? How was your day? Okay, Because, again, I would not communicate with you two guys this way. I would not call you every day. Hey, John, just checking in. You know, how you doing? Oh, that's so kind of you. Thank you for calling. Yeah, like I might call up and say, hey, you're going to slay any giants today. (laughs) But we just don't do the checking in thing. But then when we get married, we have to add that skill to our life. And I do want to tell the guys who are listening, I have negotiated this down. I asked Pam. I said, Pam, for you to operate your absolute best. How much time would you want every day just visiting with one another? Well, like in a perfect world, yeah, like vacation, you doing your best. That maybe 90 minutes 90 a day. minutes. Well, uh, you know, every perfect day. world. Perfect world. Okay, so I've got it down to 10 to 20. Okay, okay so we've well negotiated done. it What's down. What's the secret there? Um, the secret <laughs> is you just do it. You know, again, as guys, we just practice it. Um, the more you practice it, the better you get at it. Do you do that uh, if you come home from the office? Do you do it right there? You know, the best um, thing is for every couple to look for their prime time, 10 great. to 20 minutes. Because for some couples, it'll be first thing in the morning over a cup of coffee. Um, what's coming up in your day? How can I pray for you? Um, sometimes it is a drive time, maybe drive to work together. Um, sometimes it's meeting at lunch for that quick lunch. Um, if you happen to work in the same vicinity because um, the kids are all taken care of. Um, or sometimes it's right when walks in the door and you get the kids busy and you have that first debriefing. But it's uh, not while you're doing something. I can't be yeah. shaving and then say, well, tell me how you're doing. Right well, now. actually, if there's no kids around and it's quiet in your bathroom, that may be yeah. part of the prime time because okay. um, you're both looking in the mirror. You can see each other's eyes. So you can kind of give a little bit of leeway. So that's um, one of that the rules, way. see each other's you eyes. See each other's at eyes. Each other. Yeah, that's yeah. important. That's good. And the end of the night is the last one. Maybe um, before you go to bed, praying, how was your day and checking in. That's another opportunity. The eye is for investing a weekly date night. Like this is something you want to start when you first get married and you never want to give it up. Mm -hmm. Now the date night changes as time goes on. Sometimes you date at home. But as a young couple, you want to date every week. Okay, so T? T is for 10 to 20 minutes a day just to visit. 
I is invest in a weekly date night. You might need to get some friends together and have like a co-op so you kids get covered, mm-hmm. trade mm-hmm. those opportunities to give each other date nights. M is for that monthly day away. And sometimes you might need to be a little creative finding that six or eight hours. And this is, again, mostly for the girls because if we're emotionally connected, we're more in the mood for red-hot monogamy. And so, guys, you'll do yourself a favor if you create this time. And you can really do anything you want on that date. It doesn't always have to be romance. You just have to do it together and sometimes you can create it even at home that unique time I remember once Bill and I he was a senior pastor um, we had started our writing career and speaking um, our, our kids were in that what I call the oasis they're not preschoolers but they're not teenagers anymore so they're really cooperative at times to your ideas and so I looked at our schedule um, and I said oh my goodness it's like the next two hours are the only two hours I have with Bill all week and I got a little panicked I said god you have to help girl out here and so as Bill's car drove in I grabbed the piggy bank I pulled the boys in the backyard I said here you go guys I count this money there's x amount of dollars in dimes pennies quarters and nickels here y'all can have all this money but nobody can come in the house until, and I broke the piggy bank, spread it all over in the ice plant, <laughs> until you get every dime, quarter, penny, and nickel. And Brock, you get to count it all up. You're the mathematician. And when it adds up to this, then all three of you boys can come in the house. And then I put a dime in my pocket and walked in the house. And I got some good time with my husband. And my boys were happy. They got money. It was a great game. How, how many days passed so. before you shared that <laughs> dime in your pocket? Uh, 24 hours later, it's coming for breakfast. I actually went out and said, oh, hun, here's a dime. Brooke's like, that's why it wouldn't add up. Okay, we've done T-I-M. Right, and the E is for escape yearly. And that's take a yearly vacation. And sometimes, again, it might be 24 hours. Sometimes you might be able to pull off a week or two. And it could be something close to the home. You'd have to spend a lot of money. No. The key to it is, again, and as guys, we need to really value this. That We've talked previously that men like waffles, women like spaghetti. That, That spaghetti picture, women integrate their whole life together. So what typically happens for a woman is her life grows. Like her emotional attachments, the things that are important to her, her priorities, they grow. And you have to get her away from her life periodically so it shrinks her life back down. Because when her life gets smaller, she looks at you and goes, Wow, what a guy. Yeah, and so we need to really value that. And try to keep her life smaller. And we'll just (laughs) give her a break. From all of this stuff she's So she sees you again. You know, Jim, we've heard from so many who have, I think in a good way, said, you know, we're pouring out our lives for our children. But they're doing so at the risk of their relationship and their intimacy in their marriage because they're making the kids number one mm-hmm. and just driving themselves into the ground, not protecting that relationship. That's a hard thing to do, and it's pretty countercultural at times. It is very countercultural. But the best thing you can do for your kids is to have a solid, strong, red-hot relationship because that makes them feel secure, knowing mom and dad are in love for a lifetime. Our kids never worried about us getting a divorce because it was so obvious, you know, as they got to be teenagers, like, get a room, mom and dad, you know, um, they really appreciated the fact that we are affectionate with each other, not crazy um, and embarrassing. Well, sometimes it was. Sometimes. Well, not, not inappropriate. <laughs> not inappropriate. That's teens, the word. it becomes quite embarrassing, <laughs> yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the word. It was never inappropriate, but they could tell just by our, the look. We didn't have to talk about um, our sex life with them. All we had to do was they could tell by the way we looked at each other, the way we treated each other, the kindness, the affection, 
that smile that they knew that we had a strong, vibrant, red hot relationship. And that gives them security. And I think we tend to minimize the importance of this because we have too individualistic of a view of sexual intimacy. And explain, I, explain what yeah. you mean. Well, by I that. remember when this changed for me. I, it was kind of a shocking moment um, when somebody told me. It actually was in the in the middle of a sermon, and the pastor said, "Your sex life is part of your evangelism." And I kind of shook my head and went, "What?" And then he took us to Ephesians chapter five, where it says, "You know, we have instructions on husbands and wives in Ephesians five. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, will cling to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. An obvious reference to intimacy in marriage that leads to uh, the bedroom. And then the very next verse says, this is a mystery. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. And so what we have is marital unity is a reflection of the relationship between Christ and the church. Mm -hmm. And so when we develop intimacy in our marriage, we put out a picture for the world that says, hey, look, this is real. And this is a kind of love that Christ has for the church. And so we shouldn't be surprised that it's under attack. We shouldn't be surprised that our culture is setting up this frenetic system to keep us all so busy that we can't stay connected. And we shouldn't be surprised that there's this whole industry out there trying to corrupt the picture of sex. Pornography. And so we want as people to say, you know what, this is one of our priorities in life. And so like example would be um, when we were young family, we're at the soccer field. I had a friend who was about as far from God as you could picture somebody. She had three different children by three different men. She hadn't been married to any of them. She was currently pregnant and living with a condom salesman. <laughs> and she was bringing me like flyers from the grocery store. Jesus is at the L.A. Coliseum, Pam. You want to go see Jesus, all these new agey kind of really wild spiritual thing she was bringing to me with tons of questions and one day she said oh I, I know what God's will is now I'm like really how do you know that she's like well I went to a palm reader I'm like time out uh, it just sounds like you have tons of questions sweetheart about that God loves you and that you want to know his plan for your life and she's like yeah I said well why don't we get together for a bible study and I'll, I'll help answer those questions and she's like, okay. And so she came with her kids every week, and she was showing up for the Bible study, but no big spiritual movement or anything, um, not really doing her homework and all that. And one day, we were supposed to go to the beach after the Bible study with her kids, and we were down to one car. The other was in the shop. And um, there's this principle in marriage, the thing you love most about your spouse can become irritation. Well, I fell in love with Bill because he's a great listener. But because of that, he never checks his watch. Thus, the irritation always running 10 or 15 minutes late. So I'm running late this day, and I know i got to get back to give the keys to Pam so she can take the car. I, I know I'm late, and on the way home, there's a flower stand that I can get short stem roses for $5. And I thought, if I'm going to be late anyway, you might as well, be right. Right. Might as well make well. a big entrance, yeah. right? <laughs> so I do. Yeah. I get the flowers. I come home. I give them to Pam. Say, I love you. I'm sorry I'm late. Here are the keys. Have a great time. So roses take the edge off me, of course. And um, he gives me a kiss, says, I love you, gives me the roses. My friend said, whoa, did your Jesus make Bill do that for you? And I said, yeah, you could say that. She said, okay, now I want to know your Jesus. Mm. Wow. Mm. See, and that's the, the power light. of our love. And, and if we view intimacy as a personal fulfillment, we'll sacrifice that for other things. But if we see it as part of our spiritual development and spiritual growth, we'll protect it much more. Hmm. 
Bill and Pam, one of the things, and it really is the next phase, when you look at a home that's been very kid-centric, and I think the Christian community can fall into this trap, oh, yes. where you're so kid-centric, uh, in addition to the divorce rate we talked about, the highest, one of the highest divorce periods in marriage is when it's empty nest, mm-hmm. when Midlife. your kids are gone and you look at each other and you go, I don't know you, right. because they haven't done the things and, that and you've talked about. And our purpose left home. Anybody can restart. It's the beauty of life. Is it any at any point that we want to say, you know what, I want to create a new beginning, and, and I just want to kind of restart things. You can do that at any point. What I love that the Farrells talked about is that they, they said that it's never too late to reignite the flame of intimacy, and that it's so true. It is never too late, and there's just some simple things that a couple can do to reignite that flame. I think one of the best ways to reignite, Aaron, using your words, to reignite passion and intimacy is just to pay attention to the small ways that your spouse tries to have a a little connection with you. And I think for most of us, we ignore those, we miss it. And I'm talking about little things like when, when I reach out just to grab my wife's hand real quick. See, that that's a bid for connection. I'm trying to connect in a very small way to her when, when I wink at her. I mean, she can choose rather to respond to that or not. I think a lot of couples miss those things. We were driving in the car the other day in a, a, a Lamborghini pulled up next to us. And I went, whoa. Those are very expensive cars. Very I, I said, here, look, look. Do you, that's a $2 million car. And what I loved is that she could have said, so we can, it's not like we can afford that. I mean, she could have almost rejected my attempt at some little mm. tiny connection. But what she said is, man, I love that. How fast does that thing go? Oh, that does zero to 60 in like, you know, three seconds. And, it, and we were done. So I think if, if, you're, if you haven't had this intimate connection in a while, my encouragement is just notice the little ways that you guys try to connect and take mm-hmm. advantage of those. Mm-hmm. The 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 wink, the hey phone call, hey funniest thing happened to me today. Well, I can either go, I'm right in the middle of work. Let me call you back, or I can take 15 seconds and say go. And she tells me, and I laugh with her. That's hilarious. Okay, hey, I'll call you back in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he sets the timer and says 15 seconds is up. Call me back. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The truth is, is that it's just these little things, you know, become great at asking questions. Mm. You know, questions, if you want an intimate relationship, ask questions, because by asking questions, you're pursuing to know your spouse. And, you know, you look in scripture, scripture is loaded with questions. And, you know, it's it's just such a great way to build a firm relationship a foundation of a relationship. But when you ask questions, you have to be willing to listen to the answer and take time to listen to what your spouse is going to share about their heart or about their experience. And so become great at asking questions. Mm. Well, we want to help you become great in your marriage. This is a very key uh, aspect of the ministry of Focus on the Family. And uh, we've spent uh, more than 40 years now helping families and helping couples and what we've done about this topic of sexual intimacy and greater intimacy overall in marriage is uh, put some things together in what we call our Essentials of Romance Bundle, which has advice that is rooted in the Bible and uh, very practical uh, on ways that you can increase intimacy in your relationship. 
Now, the Essentials of Romance bundle includes uh, some books by the penners that we've mentioned before and other materials that will help grow and strengthen your marriage. You can see a complete description and get the bundle at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. And by the way, please uh, tell a friend to listen in to these podcasts and give us a review or a rating at iTunes. Next time, we'll conclude this Loving Well podcast series and discuss how you can keep your love strong for years to come. Marriage will take off when a woman hears Song of Songs 6-9 from her husband. And what is it? My dove, my perfect one, is the only one. That's Gary Thomas, and he joins us next time on the Loving Well podcast. For now, I'm John Fuller, and thanks for listening.